Welcome to Northgate Christian Fellowship's weekly message series. And now, here is Senior Pastor Ken Jensen. Uh, I don't know what you think of when you hear the word church. Um, and probably depending on your background or your growing up, you know, maybe um, like me, you grew up in church. And so you hear the word church and it kind of brings back memories of, of flannel graphs and Sunday school and perfect attendance awards and those kinds of things. Um, maybe, it, maybe it conjures up to you ideas of, you know, if your background is different than mine, um, high liturgical services sitting and listening to a long talk that you understood nothing about, um, you know, choir robes and organ music and all that stuff. Maybe your experience was um, in, a, in a youth group and your first experience with the church was, was, was a vibrant group of kids that you hung out with and, and you learned about God. Um, maybe, maybe your reaction to the word church is a little more emotional and maybe it's not positive emotion. Maybe it brings up feelings of, of hurt and, and disappointment from your past. We all have these ideas of what church is. Um, and this morning we're launching a new series. We're calling it Live Out Loud because what we're going to be talking about for the next couple of weeks is the church and not just the church, big C, universal church out there, us, us as a church. And what I want us to do for the next few weeks is just get really, really, really clear about what God's design, what God's intent is for his church and very specifically for this church for you and for me. So the place we're going to start is the book of Acts. So if you have a Bible, if you want to turn there, the book of Acts, it's after, it's really early in the New Testament if you don't know where to find it. Um, I believe we might even have a page number up there for you if you want to use one of the Bibles in the pews. Pews. That's one of those things that come to mind when you think of church. In the seat next to you. Um, And here's the thing that I want you to, to do. If you take nothing else away this morning, here's what I want you to understand about the church. The church is not a destination. The church is not a building. It's not about programs. The church is a movement. The church is a movement. In fact, the book of the Bible that describes the birth of the church is entitled Acts. Not ideas, not opinions, not good intentions. It's the book of Acts. It is a movement. The church is a movement. And, Je- and it begins here in chapter 1 with Jesus' words to his disciples. Now, these are the last words he gives them. Okay, and, and actually, these words and, and variations of it are, are found in each of the four Gospels at the end of them. But it begins the book of Acts with these words. And this is like, this is like his last moment with them. And, and it's almost like it's graduation day. Okay, So like, think of this is Jesus' commencement speech. Commencement from the Latin, which means go home and live with your parents. No. <laughs> commencement is move out. Move out, move forward, get on with your life. And this is his commencement speech. It's found in Acts chapter 1, beginning in verse 4 is where we're going to pick it up. It says, on one occasion, while he was eating with them, his disciples, he being Jesus, them being disciples, he gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you've heard me speak about. For John baptized you with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Then they gathered around him and asked, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, Harold, camping, listen closely. It is not for you to know the times and dates that the father has set by his own authority. But, and here's the part for us, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem 
and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And after he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes and a cloud hid them from their sight. Did you catch it? Did you catch it? Did you hear what he said to them? He said, this is it, guys. This is it, church. You are to be my witnesses. That you are going to receive supernatural power. Power from God himself. The indwelling spirit of God within you. And what that will do, what that will do is that will make you powerful witnesses. And you will do it starting here in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. That is God's mission for the church. That is his call. That is his commencement speech for you and for me. He says, go. You are going to be witness. So let's get really, really clear from the very, very get-go. The church is a movement. It is about moving. It is movement-oriented. And the movement is outward. You and I are called to be part of of a movement. And the movement that we are a part of is a movement of ordinary people. It's a movement of ordinary people. This movement is, is outward. And if, if you didn't catch it, this, and by the way, this came as a surprise to his followers because for the last three years they have followed him and they had sat and they had watched him do miracles. They had sat and listened to his teaching. They had sat and, and, and been witness to all the things that he was doing in his three years of ministry. All of the three years of preparation, they watched him. They sat and watched. And so what they are thinking is, okay, now the kingdom is coming. We've been through the crucifixion. We've been through the resurrection. Jesus has now spent 40 days with us, making sure that we understand that he is here. And now that we know he is here, now, now the kingdom of God is going to be ushered in. And that's their question. Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? See, what they expected was an earthly, physical, tangible kingdom for Israel. They had no thought whatsoever of any other nation, any other ethnic group, any other nationality. They had no thought of anything besides this kingdom for Israel. And they had spent these three years watching Jesus start making that happen. So in the back of their minds, they're thinking, okay, the kingdom is now here. The kingdom is now coming. Now's the time. And we get a front row seat. Jesus says, no, no, no. This isn't a sit and watch kingdom. (laughs) This isn't a sit and watch movement. This is a go and do movement. This is a go and do movement. See, the natural drift, and it happens in every single local congregation, the natural drift is to become inwardly focused. That is our default. You know why that is? I've been thinking about that a lot this week. Why does that happen? When Jesus was really, really clear about what the mission of the church is, why is it that we get so caught up inwardly focused? And I figured it out. Revelation this week. You know what it is? We are selfish. (laughs) It's that simple. We are, by nature, selfish people. We think about ourselves. We think about our comfort, our security, our feelings of well-being. We are just selfish people. And one of the things that Jesus is making clear here when he gives them church this mission is he's saying, it's not about you. This is not your kingdom. This is not your front row seat. This is my kingdom. And it's not a sit and watch kingdom. It's a go and do 
kingdom. And so he says to them, it's not for you to know the times and days the Father is set by his own authority. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses. And then look at how he does it. And, and many of you know this already. But what he does is he's, he's describing these outwardly growing concentric circles. He says, you're going to start right here where you're at in Jerusalem. Jerusalem, well, well, Jerusalem that's, where Je- that's where they killed Jesus. We're gonna, what are we going to do here? And all Judea, that's the surrounding country. That's like the county. So you're going to get beyond the city. You're gonna, he's saying the smallest group, the smallest segment that you can possibly even begin to think about is the city. You start with the city. But surrounding countryside too. You don't stop with the city. That's the beginning point. You move out into the countryside, into the county, all of Judea. Well, okay, because that, that, I live in Galilee, and that's, that's part of that. I, I can get along with that. And Samaria. Whoa, 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 whoa. Because see, the Samaritans, Samaritans are considered half-breeds. They're not, they're not considered a part of us. And, and the kingdom is for, for us. It's for Israel. It's, it's, it's about us. So no, 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 no. You're going to go to Samaria. Out, outside of your comfort zone. The people who don't quite speak the same language, or they have a different dialect. Or, or they don't have the same nationality and ethnicity completely like you do. He says, you're going to get out of your comfort zone. J- Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria. And, and, he says, and the ends of the earth. And these 12 guys looking around at each other. And then they look back at Jesus. And I'm sure they're thinking to themselves, the ends of the earth. Jesus, do you know how far that is? And Jesus is saying, I know how far it is. You don't know how far that is. He said, this is a mission. This this is what the church is all about. It is about moving outward. And and, and these are just ordinary guys. These are ordinary people. They have no resources. They have no programs. They have no buildings to meet in. They got no money. And and Jesus is just like really, really fuzzy on the details. He doesn't tell them how they're going to do it, except that you're going to receive power. And you're going to go out and you're going to be witnesses to the ends of the earth. Now, I say those words, and I bet every one of us in this room think, well, yeah, but I'm just going to stay here. Because <laughs> ends of the earth, that, that's for somebody else. And I bet, and, and maybe you're thinking, ends of the earth, I mean, you know, I have a hard time talking to my friends. I'm, I'm going to be what? Now, think of that, okay? Think of how you feel when you hear this idea that you're going to be a witness, just think about how uncomfortable that makes you feel a little bit. And then multiply that, that like times a thousand. And that's probably how the disciples felt. Because they got nothing. <laughs> They've got nothing. But it says, you're going to do this. You're going to do this. And, and it's, it's a ridiculous thing. It's, it's an impossible task. It's ludicrous that he would ask us to do such a thing. Except, except that it actually happened. It actually happened. This group of, of nobodies, of untrained, unschooled people who had no resources, did it. They actually did it. And, and you know this, you may not know this, long before followers of Jesus were referred to as Christians, because that happens way later in the book of Acts, long, long before they were known as Christians, you know what they were known as? People of the way. People of the way. Because it's a movement. It's a movement. 
It's a movement of ordinary people. And, and, and Jesus is saying, you're not going to be perfect at it. You're going to make mistakes. You don't have all the resources that you need, but go and do it. Go and do it. And for this whole series, that's going to be my rallying cry for this church. Do something. Do something because the church is a movement. And I will tell you, folks, and I've had a long time to think about this this last summer. Because I spent eight weeks just thinking about and praying about and dreaming about the future of this church. And I'm going to tell you right here and now, I have zero interest, zero interest in pastoring a sit-and-watch church. Zero interest. Because that's not the movement we are called to. Jesus is not looking for a bunch of spectators. He is looking for a go-and-do church. And this is the rallying cry. And and if you don't want to do that, if you just want to sit and be comfortable, go somewhere else. Because you're just taking up space here. Because we're making room for people who we're going to go bring in because we're going to go do. We are going to go do. You and I, we are going to go do. We're going to talk about that in a couple of weeks as we go through this. But here's the deal. When we started this church, that was our mission. That was our vision. We took that commandment seriously. And we started with just 12 people. But I'll tell you, every one of those 12 people lived their life for that mission. They gave themselves. They gave their resources. They gave their time for that mission. And you ask any one of those people who started with us at the very beginning, and they will tell you every encounter, every new person they met, every new little league coach, every new team mom from soccer, every person they met standing on the sideline watching their kids' game was a potential Christ follower, and they thought that way. We thought that way. That every time we met somebody, here is somebody that God is doing a work in, and I want to be a part of it. That's a go-and-do mentality. That is what God has called his church. That is what God has called this church to do. Because the church is a movement. Now, how are we going to do that? Well, here's the, cool, here's the coolest thing. We're a movement. We are a movement. Ordinary people, but with extraordinary power. Extraordinary power. Jesus said, you will receive power and you will be my witnesses. And then he disappeared. <laughs> And, and, and in fact, it says they stood there and they just were looking up into the sky, watching him disappear behind the clouds. And, and two angels showed up and they said, why are you standing here looking up into the sky? It's like, well, I don't know what else to do. <laughs> he says, you heard what he said. Now go do it. And 10 days later, 10 days later, at a feast called the Feast of Pentecost, which was a Jewish feast, About 120 of them were gathered together, and they were praying, and they were praying, and and we're not told exactly what their prayers were, but I believe their prayer was this, Lord, if that's what you want us to do, I can't do that in my own strength. Lord, you promised us power, so so, that's what we need. We're we're waiting for you. We need your strength. We need your power, because we can't accomplish this in our own strength. And it says, on that day, on that feast day, when they were gathered together, something incredible happened. It's found in chapter 2. Suddenly, verse 2, suddenly the sound of like a blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. 
And they saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that, that separated and came to rest on each of them. And all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit. And they began to speak in other languages as the Spirit enabled them. See, they didn't, they didn't operate solely in their own strength and in their own power. They needed a power greater than themselves. And, and what happened was they began to realize that they were now a part of something much bigger than themselves. And the Spirit of God came on them and filled each and every one of them with power. With power. And, and you see, as we go through the book of Acts, and we, you, find this, you find this movement happening over and over again. It's a repeated pattern. The, the church gathers together, and they are empowered, and they are encouraged, and they pray together, and they study God's word together, and they are, and they are filled with the Spirit, and they go back out. And then they encounter difficulties, and they get threats, and all these other things happen to them. And they gather back together, and they get empowered, and they encourage each other, and they worship, and they remember God is bigger than these, than these threats that we're getting. And they go out with power, and they gather together, and they go back out, and they gather together, and they go back. The reason we gather together on Sunday morning is to be empowered to go back out. That's why we're here this morning. We come together to worship, to remember our God is bigger than anything we might face this week or anything we faced this last week. God is bigger than my financial problems. God is bigger than the threats that I have. God is bigger than, than the struggles that I'm facing. God is bigger than the problems that are going on in my marriage. God is bigger than that. And when we come together and we worship and we remember that our God is bigger than anything we might be going through individually. And we are empowered and taught and pray together. And we go out. See, there is this movement. It's all movement. We come and gather together so we go back out. We gather together so we go back out. We don't gather together so we can sit around together. In fact, what happened is this thing was so incredibly powerful. And these guys were just so overwhelmed with power. Men and women, by the way, that they couldn't stay in that little room. They, they, they realized this is what we wanted. We got to get out. And they went out and, they, and this thing overflowed into the streets. And they are speaking languages they never knew before. In fact, um, there's, there's people, because this is, a, this is a feast day, there are people from all these other out, outlying nations that are, that are God followers or converts to Judaism. They've come together for this feast and they come together and they all speak all these different languages. But what they hear, what they hear is the glory of God. In their own language, this is what they say. Utterly amazed. They say, aren't these who are speaking Galileans? How is it that each of us hears them in our own native language? We hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. Now, there's a lot of debate and a lot of confusion and a lot of all kinds of stuff about this whole idea of tongues. What does it look like? What does it sound like? Is it for today? Is it for... That, you, you, if you get caught up in that argument, you miss the point. Because the point was, these people heard the glory of God. They heard the message of God in their own language. That was the point. That they heard this incredible message in their own language. We hear them in our own tongues. God was at work. God was at work through them. But the other thing is that God was at work in the hearers as well. Another thing I was thinking about this week. So Jesus gives them this, this commission. He tells them, this is what you're going to do. This is what you're going to go and do. 
And, and then he disappears. And then there's 10 days. You know, why, why, why doesn't he just give it to them then? Why, what's this 10 day? Why is that weight in there? Well, because 10 days later is this feast called Pentecost. And, and the great feasts are when pilgrims from all outlying nations, any God followers, any converts to Judaism, they gathered together for the feast. So, so God was in the preparation of those who were going to hear it too. See, God was already at work in their lives as well. God was orchestrating this whole thing so that they would be there to hear that message in their own language. So God was at work in the, in the believers as they proclaimed it, but God was also at work in the lives of the hearers so that they could hear it. And here's the point that I want you to take away from that because we're so nervous sometimes about what to say and how to say it and whether we're going to get it right or what, you know, what if we're going to make a mistake. And we, what you've got to understand is God is already at work in the lives of your hearers. God's already at work in the lives of your friends and of your family. God's working in them too. And is orchestrating this, this coming together, if you will, so that you, by the power of his spirit, might be able to speak this message, this message to people who desperately need to hear it, who God is already preparing their hearts. Do you believe that? No, I mean, do you believe that? Let's not give lip service to that, folks. God is at work. God is at work. He is at work in you. He is at work in the lives of your family members and your friends. He is at work. Everyone needs to hear this message, and they need to hear it in their own language. And there are some people that you're one of the few people that that speaks their language. I'm not just talking about tongues, vocal languages. I'm talking about languages of caring. Languages of serving. Languages of healing. Languages of friendship. Languages of forgiveness and reconciliation. You know how many people need to hear those languages? God's already preparing them. And God has empowered you. We're all witnesses. But every one of us is a unique expression of that. Ordinary people with an extraordinary power. And we are a movement with this life-changing message. They began to understand through this, their lives were connected and caught up in something much, much bigger than their own agendas, than their own lives. That God was doing something here. And, and in fact, um, as, as all this begins to happen, the people that are just kind of amazed at all this happening, they're just, they're, they ask the question, you know, how is it that we hear all of this? What does this mean? They say, they were amazed and perplexed. They asked each other, what does this mean? And then Peter, Peter, this unschooled, inconsistent fisherman, never had any formal training, impetuous as all get out, getting himself into trouble all the time, sticking his foot in his mouth all the time when he's following Jesus. This guy gets up and he gives one of the most eloquent speeches and explanations for God's work in this world through the centuries. And he gives this, he he preaches the very first sermon recorded in the church. And it's kind of long, but he's a preacher now, so he gets an excuse on it, okay? But the gist of it, the gist of it, it comes down to this. Here's the heart of the message. Verse 32 God has raised this Jesus to life. 
And we are witnesses. Same word. Jesus said, you're going to be my witnesses. And he's standing in front of thousands of people. And he says, I'm a witness. I'm a witness. I saw this. That God has raised this Jesus to life. And we are all witnesses of the fact. And then verse 36. Therefore, he says, let all Israel be assured of this. That God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. That's it. That is our message. It's this one message centered around one person, around a very specific act in human history. Our message is this. That this Jesus, who was crucified, rose again, and God has now made him Lord and Messiah. That's the message. And that is a message of hope. It's a message, it's a message that calls for response. In fact, they know that. And because they ask the question, what should we do? See, even the unbelievers understand this is a movement. <laughs> what should we do? Repent and be baptized, he says, every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. This promise is for you and your children and all who are far off. You know who that is? That's you. That's me. All who are far off. 2,000 years ago, Peter is saying, this message isn't just for this generation. It's for this generation and your grandchildren. And in fact, it's bigger than that. And because this small group of believers really believed that God could do something through them, as imperfect as they were, as inconsistent as they may have lived their lives, they believed that God could do something through them. And they acted. And they acted so that another generation could take that message to their generation. So that that generation could then pass it on to the next generation to the next generation and the next and the next and now it's our turn and now it's our turn what will we do with this message how will we act with this trust that we have been given because that's what it comes down to we have a responsibility with this listen i want to let me just share with you a couple of of, of facts this is from the Association of Religious Data Archives. You can go online and look this up yourself. Um, and what they do is, from time to time, they do surveys and, and polls, and they try to find out, um, you know, what's the religious temperature? You know, wh- how many people, um, they call them adherents, okay? How many people, how many adherents are there in different religious groups, okay? And here's the, here's the results. This is, this is Solano County. Okay, this is just Solano County, which actually is a little bit higher than the Bay Area total in general. But Solano County, okay, there are 7.5% of the population of Solano County considers themselves an adherent, an adherent to evangelical Christianity. 7.5%. Now, and, and 
when they say adherents, they're not talking about like every Sunday attenders. They're not talking about sold out people who are, who are out there doing something with it. These are just an, an adherent by their standards is anybody who shows up at a church within a six month period of time. So, so we're actually talking about a number quite swallowed in this. Do you want to know, do you want to know what the single greatest block is? You want to know what the single greatest block is? It's one that they call unclaimed. Over 62% of the population of Solano County are unclaimed. Don't you think Jesus wants to claim a few people? He wants to claim this world. We have a life-giving message. Now, that's the statistics, but I want to I I really bring this down and make it concrete. And, and, I, and, I, and I saw this done somewhere else, and it, just, it was so helpful to me. So what I'd like you to do is to pull out your wallets. No, we're not taking an offering. Okay? Pull out your wallet, or maybe if you've got a smartphone, pull out your smartphone. And here's what I want you to do. In your wallet or in your smartphone, you probably have a picture of somebody that you love, okay? Family member, whatever it is. I want you to, I would, here's what I want you to do. Find a picture of somebody in, in your wallet or on your smartphone and, and just turn to the person next to you and I want you to say to them, I care about this person. And, and if you don't have a picture in your wallet of anybody else, if, all, if the only picture in your wallet is your driver's license, you can go ahead and use that one and say, I care about this person, okay? <laughs> but, but do it right now. Seriously, do it right now. Do it right now. Do you think Jesus cares about that person? Do you think Jesus cares about that person? In fact, just by a show of hands this morning, how many here would say there's at least one person in my life that I care deeply about that doesn't know Jesus yet? Did you raise your hand? See, I want us to get really concrete about this. Because I can give you statistics and I can give you numbers and all that kind of stuff, but it's got to hit home in your own heart. There are people in your life that Jesus gave his life for. And when he looks down at Solano County, at the San Francisco Bay Area, he's not looking at statistics. He's looking at people. People who by their own volition and decision would declassify themselves as unclaimed when it comes to God. And I want to tell you, church, those are the people we started this church for. We started this church to reach the unclaimed, the lost, those who don't know there's a God who loves them. He gave his life for them so that they could be restored and renewed and given life eternal. Because that is the mission of this church. And I believe it should be the mission of every church because that's the only mission Jesus gave us. And we have talks sometimes among our pastoral staff about our mission and, um, you know, are we doing it and maybe we should change it. And the one thing I will not change, I will not change, 
is that we are a church for unchurched people. We are a church who are called to reach unclaimed people. Because that was Jesus' mission. And it was the mission that he gave his church. And, and, and it's been passed down. It's been from generation to generation to generation. And now it is our turn. It is our turn. And the promises that he made to them, you will receive power and you will be my witnesses. That is for you and your grandchildren and for all who are far off. It's for us too. Last week I got this email. And I just had to share it with you. Um, and it's, I'm going to do it anonymously. And you'll understand why. This is the email I got. Sunday afternoon. Wow. My husband missed the service today because he had a drill at Travis Air Force Base. And now he's on the iPad watching the podcast. I know none of you know this because he's a very private person. And he has never been a churchgoer before. But he really enjoys Northgate. And now... When he misses a service, he feels like something is missing. And it ends with, thank you. I want to get hundreds of these. I want to get thousands of these emails. Because this church is a movement. It's about action. It's about moving forward. It is not about sitting and watching. It is about going and doing. And I am excited. What I, uh, what I believe, what I truly believe in my heart is the second chapter in the life of Northgate Fellowship. And a lot of it is going back to the roots of chapter 1. But in the same way that in Acts chapter 2, this church was imbued with power by the Holy Spirit and they went out and they shared this message and lives were changed. I want us to be a chapter 2 church. A chapter 2 church. And that means, that means that each and every one of us, somewhere, whatever it is, are going to have to do something. And in the weeks ahead, we'll talk about what those are. But here's just a few really quick ones. Walk for water. Walk for water is an incredible place to stand and say, we are caring about this world. And as a church, as a people, we care about what's happening in this world. And we want to help relieve suffering. We're not just about spiritual pie-in-the-sky pie kind of stuff. We're about nitty-gritty down here on the earth kind of stuff. And that's just one way. That's a real simple way you can do this. The life books. We're empowering our students to go out and give this message of life. And you can help sponsor that. You you, you can encourage them. You can ask them. See one of our students, one of our middle schoolers, one of our high schoolers. And you say, hey, who did you have another book to this week? And and ask them, how can I pray for you? Do something. Do something. Because this is not a sit and watch movement. This is a go and do movement. Let's pray. Thank you for listening to this week's message. We trust that you'll join us again soon for another uplifting message from Northgate Christian Fellowship located in Venetia, California.